Hello and welcome to Empire Sports Talk, my mom's favorite podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice that things look a little different. We're making some changes. Um, we're turning this into a proper set. Please don't look behind the camera because it's still a mess in here. But once it's fully ready, we'll take you on a tour and see everything. I'm very excited about the way this podcast is growing. I want to thank all, all of you for helping with that. But let's get right to the action because there's a lot going on. First and foremost, the biggest story of the week for me is the fact that, first of all, it was a possibility that Angel's superstar, Shohei Otani, could be traded ahead of the the MLB trade deadline, which is tomorrow. But earlier this week, the Angels owner, Artie Moreno, came out and said that they are not trading Shohei Otani, and will, he will remain with the Angels until he is a free agent in the offseason. And they made a bit of a push to keep him acquiring Lucas Giolito from the White Sox, one of the higher end pieces that was on the trade uh, market and a valuable reliever in Ronaldo Lopez, who is going to help a struggling Angels bullpen. Giolito has already made one start for the Angels and gotten roughed up pretty good allowing six runs uh the angels i believe lost that game 10 to 1 or 9 to 1 and the one came in the first inning on a you guessed it shohei otani home run i think this is a it's a huge mistake to come out and say shohei otani is not available listen i want shohei otani to stay with the angels i don't like seeing the best players go to the Dodgers and the Yankees and the teams with all the money. I don't like seeing that. But at this point, Shohei Otani, I don't think it's completely hyperbolic to say that what we're seeing from Shohei Otani is the greatest we've ever seen on a Major League Baseball field. Major League Baseball is the only sport where you can't really have a GOAT conversation like you can in the NFL or or you can in in the NBA. It's You can in, in the NFL, even though there are two sides to the football, you usually have the greatest offensive player, greatest defensive player, whatever. Uh, but I think everybody can agree that Tom Brady is the is the GOAT in that sport just because of what he's done, the, the, the seven Super Bowls. But you can't really have that conversation in baseball because you can't compare pitchers to hitters. What they do is completely different. The value they bring to a team is completely different. And up until now, they only do one of those things. Shohei Otani is changing that narrative. Shohei Otani is doing both at, a, at, at an all-star level, heck, an MVP level for five years now. And so it's, it has suddenly changed the narrative of you can have a GOAT conversation, but it's really only a conversation about the accomplishments of one man. Babe Ruth did it back in the day, but not to the level that Shohei's doing. And I know that's silly. You're saying, hey, I mean, he had, he had, a, he had all these complete games. He had an ERA around three. He had, you know, 714 home runs, which is third all time. Yeah. But... The argument that a lot of people make when it comes to errors and why you can't compare errors is 
is the eras were completely different. And this is an era, what we're in now is an era of the home run. It's an era of hundred mile an hour pitches. It's like, it's, it's completely different. So what Shohei Otani is doing currently leading major league baseball in home runs and having a nine win season so far is just, there are, there, there, I've run out of words in a recent doubleheader against the Tigers. He pitched a one hit complete game shutout in game one. And an hour later came back onto the field and hit two home runs in game two. And I, the world's run out of words to describe what Shohei Otani is doing. That being said, I know that Artie Moreno doesn't want to be the guy to trade the best player we've ever seen. But even if the Angels going for it by acquiring Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez gets them to the playoffs, even if they make it, because right now they're three games out of the wild card. They're even more, they're, they're even further out of the division. As of right now, as this is being recorded, the Angels are six games out of the AL West and five games out of the AL wild card. Even if going for it with Giolito and Lopez gets them into the playoffs, which in my opinion is unlikely because Mike Trout is out until sometime in August. The offense has not done its job. Rookie Mickey Moniak's done a really good job hitting 331, but they need more help than just him. Major League Baseball, much as it is a sport where you can't really have a GOAT conversation, you can't really, you can't build a winning team based on one or two or three pieces. Or you, you can't just go get the best player and expect to have have a winning team. You need pieces. You need a bunch of pieces that fit together. Heck, I mean, for the last five years, the Angels have had the two best players in the world on the same team. And they haven't they have yet to make the playoffs with both Trout and Otani on the roster. Shohei Otani is gonna walk away. Even if they manage to make it into the playoffs, it's going to be as a wild card. And if they make it in as a wild card, they'll have to go up against a, a division leader. And uh, they're not going to beat Texas in their own division. They're not going to beat, as of right now, Baltimore or Tampa in the East. The only team they'd have a chance to beat is whoever makes it out of the Central, uh, because that's a weak division this year. But I don't even think the Angels would beat the Astros, who are second place in the AL West, in front of, in front of them, in a in a series. So the best the Angels can hope for, barring some Atlanta Braves, Philadelphia Phillies type eighty-seven win miracle, is a wild card appearance and a first round exit. And I don't. That's not in any stretch of the imagination, going to keep Shohei Otani. So then your question becomes, do we keep him for two more months and let him walk away and get nothing? Or do we trade him and get a lot that we can use to actually build a team around Mike Trout and Mickey Moniak? I'll give you an example. One team that is claimed to be interested in in Otani at the trade deadline is Baltimore. Now, if I was Baltimore, I would not do this, but but just for just for 
talking about it. Baltimore is set up to win for a long time. And it, and then and that's the reason why I wouldn't I wouldn't make the deal if I was Baltimore with 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 a bunch of young players like Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, uh Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, and Jackson Holiday in the minors. This group, Dean Kramer, this group has has spent years building their minor league system to to get to this point where they are the most exciting young team in baseball. They have the prospects, they have the farm system, they have the MLB ready talent that would entice the Angels that that would be able to rebuild that team in a hurry. But I wouldn't do it if I was the Orioles because of all that work they've done because because if they traded for for uh, Shohei Otani and gave away, let's say, Westberg and Henderson and Kramer just just for the heck of it. Let's say that the that those were the guys that went back. Shohei Otani, I don't think would stay in Baltimore because he's made it. He's he said that he prefers the West Coast. So then, Shohei Otani walks after two months to go out west, would be at the Dodgers, the Mariners, which would be interesting. Um, or whoever, then the Orioles are suddenly without Dean Kramer, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg. And like, like the Orioles right now are set up to win the World Series in, the, in a few years as is. They wouldn't need to do it. But what I'm saying is the pieces that the Angels could get back, they could easily get at least five pieces and or draft picks that would go a long way to building a successful franchise. If Otani walks away for nothing, you're subjecting that that franchise to another decade of no playoff appearances. To You're basically sending Mike Trout to regular season purgatory. He, he's already been there 10 years and they haven't made the playoffs. You're you're guaranteeing another ten years of that. The Angels have a history of poor decisions when it comes to players and player contracts, and I just want to run through a few of those. The most notable one is Anthony Rendon. In December 2019, he signed one of the largest free agent contracts in history. At that time, coming off of winning the World Series with the Washington Nationals, the Angels missed out on Garrett Cole, went for the next big free agent, which was Anthony Rendon, and got him. He signed for seven years, $245 million. He played 52 of the 60 games in that 2020 shortened season and hit 286. so things started well. Since then... Anthony Rendon has has played just 148 of the team's 425 games. That's a percentage of just under 35. percent It's this is this is one of the team's biggest contracts in franchise history, and he's played 35 percent of their games in the last three years. And as I say that, he's injured right now. So there you go. And that's just Anthony Rendon. He he's it's it's going down. It's not even done yet, but it's going down as one of the worst free agent signings, free agent contracts of all time. 
So there's that. Then, back in 2011, they signed Albert Pujols. They lured him away from the Cardinals on what I believe was a 10-year contract. And he aged quickly once he got to L.A. He got worse and worse every year. He struggled to stay on the field. He, his average was low. The numbers were low. It was not there. Go back a little further, or around that same time, rather, they signed former AL MVP Josh Hamilton, luring him away from the Texas Rangers. Same thing. The player they thought they were getting never showed up. Josh Hamilton never had an all-star season with the Angels. He never lived up to what he did in Texas. He had struggles with relapses and different things that, that, kept, that kept him from, from being that same player. So that's three large names that the Angels have gone, gone after in the last 10 years or so that just, that just tanked. And that's not including uh, 2011 World Series hero for the St. Louis Cardinals, David Fries, who signed a free agent deal with the Angels shortly thereafter. But honestly, outside of, outside of the 2011 postseason, and I love David Fries, outside of the 2011 postseason, David Fries is an average player. So the Angels have a long history of getting it wrong when it comes to big player decisions, contracts, that kind of thing. So if they let Shohei Otani walk away for nothing, they're continuing that trend. The Nationals did it with Bryce Harper. He, he, he walked away. They got nothing. It worked out for the Nationals because they ended up winning the World Series that next year. But then the Nationals learned their lesson, and when it came time, they tried to extend Juan Soto with the largest contract the sport had ever seen at the time. He said no. They traded him. They got a haul back from San Diego, and they have a nice young core there in Washington. They're not winning a lot of games right now, but they have a nice young starting place to work with. The Angels need to learn their lesson. They have missed too many times, and it's time for them to bite the bullet, do the hard thing, trade Shohei Otani, while they can still get something for the greatest player we've ever seen. He's not coming back, even if you make the playoffs this year. He's not coming back. I've heard that the, that the prospective contract is in the neighborhood of $700 million, which is like not only be the largest we've ever seen, but it would make him the first half a billion dollar player. We've never had somebody sign for 500, and the number I'm hearing is 700. There's maybe two or three teams that can even sniff that number. The Angels aren't one of them, unless they mortgage Disneyland. The Angels aren't one of them. He's not coming back. So, so they should change their mind in the next 24 hours, trade Shohei Otani, and get something. Get something. Or this could be one of the dumbest decisions in Major League Baseball history, in sports history, to not get anything for Shohei Otani, because that's what's about to happen. I could do an entire podcast on that. I don't want to. So let's move on. James Harden has apparently learned nothing 
from the Damian Lillard situation. If you've been living under a rock, Damian Lillard requested a trade from Portland Trailblazers and said that he'd really only be happy playing for Miami. No trade has materialized. Hasn't even been close. Portland has not been happy with the offers that Miami has made. So as of right now, Damian Lillard is still a trailblazer, and it looks like he will remain a trailblazer into the season unless something happens. So maybe making a one-team demand is not the way to go. James Harden sees this and says, I'm different. He opts in with the Sixers with the express intent of having them work out trade partners for him, later saying, I only want to play for the Clippers. Apparently you learned nothing, because that's also not happening. There's no traction there. So I don't know why James Harden thinks that suddenly, after watching everything that's happened with Damian Lillard, says, well, I can ask for a specific team, because I'm different, and they'll, they'll do it for me. No. Because much like we're seeing with Portland, the franchise is going to do what's best for them. And right now, holding on to you, because you're under contract, congratulations for that, you're under contract, so they they cannot move you at all. And they're not going to. Um, because you on their team gives them a better chance than you not on their team. Because any trade with the Clippers is not going to get them Kawhi or Paul George, which is the only way they'd be better without James Harden. Honestly, I think they fooled James Harden. I think they I think they said opt in and we'll and we'll trade you. He opts in. He's under contract. They bring him back. I think it I think it could go could go down as an excellent misdirect because they're not going to trade him to the Clippers and if they do, I don't think they're going to get anything in return that makes them better because it's not going to be one of the top 2 players. And not going to be Russell Westbrook and the Sixers shouldn't want it to be. But but more, I don't know why James Harden looks at Damian Lillard and says, I can make it happen even though he couldn't. Because at this point in time, Damian Lillard's better than James Harden. James Harden has, has shown up out of shape multiple times, has disappeared in big games multiple times. So it's just, it's laughable to me that he thinks he's, he's somehow, he goes into the exact same situation as Damian Lillard, right after Damian Lillard's in it, and thinks it's going to change. Franchises don't like when you say, I only want to play for this team. From both sides. Because, because the franchise has the power, if it's a trade situation, and says, well, we don't want to, we don't want, you don't want to play here, we don't want to help you. So they're not going to make the trade. And then 28 other franchises who might be interested in you because Damian Lillard would have gotten offers from... There's not a team in the NBA that wouldn't want Damian Lillard. And yet he says, I only want to play for Miami. So the other 28 teams aren't going to try to trade for him because they know that if they landed him, he wouldn't be happy. There are there are some situations where if he went there, I think it'd be really, really interesting and he'd have success. I think it'd be really interesting in Philly if he went to Philly. I think it'd be really interesting in Utah as, as, as a dark horse pick. I think it'd be really fun in Utah. I think it, the, the trade proposal for Toronto is intriguing. 
but he said, I only want to play for Miami. So there's not going to be a lot of teams that are going to be like, we'll help you out in a three-team trade to get you to Miami when it's not really going to benefit us that, that much. So I don't know how James Harden sees that and thinks, let me do the exact same thing and hope for a different result. That's the definition, friends, of insanity. So I find that laughable. Something else that I find laughable in the NBA this week is Dwight Howard. You remember Dwight Howard. Used to be relevant. Won a, won a NBA championship as a role player, as a washed-up role player with the Lakers, and now is recruiting everybody and their mother to play in Taiwan with him. Yeah, that Dwight Howard. He came out a few days ago claiming that he believes he was better than Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic calling him a top 10 center ever. Part of being a top player ever in any sport is how you finish. It's it's looking at the full scale of a career and saying he aged a little bit at the end, but it was still good. Everybody wants to knock on Michael Jordan, you know, at 40 with the Wizards. Everybody wants to knock on that. But look, but but let's look at it. Yes, he was 40, but he still averaged 20 points a game and played all 82 on one leg. He had he had bad legs at that time, couldn't really jump. And he still averaged 20 points playing all 82 games. How you finish matters. LeBron is going to finish beautifully. He's he's having he's putting up some of the best numbers he's ever put up at age 38. The Dwight Howard saga is as messy as it gets. In Orlando for 9 10 years, he was the best center in the NBA. For for a 9 10 year period, he was unstoppable. But then after he forced his way out of Orlando to the Lakers, to the Rockets, to the Hawks, to the Hornets, to the Sixers, to the Lakers again. It never worked again. To the point where he's out of the NBA. You can't look at somebody that's literally had a Jekyll and Hyde career. Two halves that are diametrically opposed. One half great, the other half abysmal and say that's a top 10 at his position all time. You can. He's pro- I I wouldn't put him higher than 8 if I put him on the list because of how it finished. Dwight Howard will likely never play another game in the NBA. He didn't endear himself to anybody after he left Orlando. He didn't elevate his play after he left Orlando. Nothing after he left the Magic, said, I'm still great in this game. Nothing. He won with the Lakers because he was the 10th, 11th, 12th man. So let's, so let's not look at that, that title and be like, oh, he's got a title because James Jones won a bunch of titles. It's not, it's not the same thing. And so for him to say he, and yes, Dwight Howard was great. But is he watching Nikola Jokic? Dwight Howard was dominant, but he was dominant at a handful of things. Shot blocking, 
rebounding, scoring. He could score 20. He even says, he even says in the quote, he says, obviously people are going to talk Jokic can score. He he got all those offensive skills, Howard said. But at the time, but at the same time, I, I was getting 38, 38 and 20, 45 and 18, 19, 20. And I'm doing all this with twos, no threes, all twos. I'm I'm doing it with lobs. I'm not getting a lot of post-up attempts like Jokic. He's getting way more opportunities. Okay. I get the point Dwight Howard's trying to make. It's that he did what he thinks is more with less. But that's exactly what makes him wrong in this situation. Nikola Jokic has the post moves. He has the mid-range. He can shoot threes. He can still block and play defense and rebound. So he's still doing that. He's a he's a better passer than Dwight Howard could ever hope to be. He's the best passing center we've ever seen. And he drops 40 on a regular basis. And when he does post up, when he does dribble, he doesn't have quick moves. He backs you down for about eight seconds. And he still scores on you. That's the definition of unstoppable. Nikola Jokic has two MVPs, back-to-back MVPs. Dwight Howard doesn't have any. You could make an argument that there were some seasons in Orlando where he where he could have been named it and probably deserved it, but he doesn't have any. And that is a metric when you look at the best players of all time, the best centers of all time. It's like, what are their statistics? Both Dwight Howard and Nikola Jokic are NBA champions. Nikola Jokic was the most important player on that team. Dwight Howard was like the sixth most important player on that team, or less. Uh, Nikola Jokic was finals MVP. LeBron James was the finals MVP of Dwight Howard's title. If Dwight Howard's speaking only of his prime, sure. Maybe he's better or as good, I'll say, as Nikola Jokic is now, except Nikola Jokic is winning titles and MVPs in his prime, and Dwight was not. I, depending on what era you're playing in, if it's today's era, I'm taking Jokic 10 out of 10 times. If it's, if it's the early 2000s, when the big man was still the big man and not backing out and shooting threes, I'm still probably taking Jokic eight out of 10 times because he can do everything Dwight Howard can do and more. Maybe maybe he's not doing it as dominantly as Dwight did. Maybe he doesn't have the blocks Dwight did. Maybe he's not getting 20 rebounds. Maybe, maybe he's getting 15 instead while also dishing 10, 11 assists. He fills the stat sheet more than Dwight does did whatever so i think it's i think it's i think this is an instant of dwight howard trying to talk to remain relevant in the nba since he's been in taiwan for a couple of years he went on a reality show um called uh, world's toughest where he tried to show his toughness by competing in boot camp style and basically going to boot camp with other celebrities that was run by drill sergeants and they hated him I think I think Dwight Howard's just trying to stay relevant, and so he's putting his name out there with Nikola Jokic. But I think 
unless Nikola Jokic has the kind of tail off that Dwight Howard has, he he will finish way ahead of Dwight Howard all time and probably is already there, honestly. I want to stay with the Lakers for a second. I mentioned I mentioned LeBron James a minute ago in the MVP being the MVP of the 2020 finals. I give give LeBron James a lot of crap on this show. It happens, I know, whatever. I do think he's one of the greatest players that we've ever seen. The problem is that I feel like the people that think that believe him to be the greatest of all time invent things to make their point, things that don't exist. And one graphic that really kind of made me angry, if I'm being totally honest. I saw a graphic that was posted on Twitter, and it tried to point out how there are more levels to LeBron than there is to Michael Jordan by using his titles and playoff wins. And the graphic goes like this. It says, LeBron won two titles without Wade. He won two titles without Bosh. He won three titles without Kyrie. He won three titles without Kevin Love. He won three titles without Anthony Davis. Michael Jordan has won one playoff game without Scottie Pippen. I hope that just by me reading that, you hear how misleading that is. How made up that is. Because but that graphic makes it sound like LeBron James has 13 titles. He has four. So, before I get to the Michael Jordan of it all, I want to iron this out. Yes, LeBron James has won two titles without Wade and Bosh. But when he wasn't with Wade and Bosh, he was with Kyrie and Kevin Love and Anthony Davis. Yes, he's won three titles without Kyrie and Kevin Love. But again, he was with Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and Anthony Davis. Yes, he's won three titles without Anthony Davis, but stay with me here. He was with Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love. LeBron James has never won a title by himself. All four of his titles, he was with one or more of those five people. And yet, this graphic makes it sound like he was he he was trading chips and doing it by himself and all the stuff. That it's the most misleading garbage I've ever heard. To stack all those up together like it's a noble quest, like he's got 13 championships when he's got four and one or more of those people was involved in every single one. And then to take it a step further and say Michael Jordan has only won one playoff game without Scotty. Okay. So let me remind you how the NBA works. LeBron James, after leaving Cleveland the first time, has never not been part of a super team. Let me remind you that in 2021, after the championship, one of his super teams was considered to be Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. And that was one of the biggest disasters in recent memory. Okay, so a super team can be defined as a group of superstars coming together 
from separate destinations at the height of their game to join each other. Chris Bosch was at the height of his game with Toronto. Dwayne Wade was already a star in Miami. LeBron James was already an MVP in Cleveland. This, that's a super team. What's not a super team? If you factor out the, the Kevin Durant years, I'll tell you why we never really talk about Golden State as a super team other than the Kevin Love or the, or the Kevin Durant thing. It's because Steph Curry was drafted by Golden State. Klay Thompson was drafted by Golden State. Draymond Green was drafted by Golden State. Kevon Looney, drafted. And, and, and Andrew Wiggins was a, was a free agent signing or a trade piece after he'd been shipped off from Cleveland because of guess who? LeBron James is building a super team there as well with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, the nucleus of those four championships for Golden State, were all drafted. Look at the Spurs in, in, in the 2010s. Manu and Tony Parker were international signings. Tim Duncan was a draft pick. Yes, role players were traded for and signed, but that happens with every team, with every good team. The role players that are seeking out championships join up. I'm talking about Nucleus here. The reason that outside of Kevin Durant joining them, which even the media knew at the time, they didn't need. The, the, the Warriors didn't count as a super team because they built from the ground up. That's exactly what the Bulls did. And people want to act like because, because Scottie Pippen is one of the 25 greatest players of all time, 30 greatest players of all time, that it's the same thing. That, oh, he, didn't, he never won without Scottie. No, that's because that's because the the Bulls drafted Scotty. They drafted Horace Grant. And then when Horace Grant left in free agency, they went and got Dennis Rodman, who, yes, was a star for the Bulls, and he was really, really good for the Pistons, but he was basically on the verge of a mental breakdown in Detroit and needed to leave. And the Bulls needed to replace the defense and rebounding of Horace Grant. So they went and got Dennis Rodman. It's a different situation. It's building a winning team. It's not going out and getting every star you can get. So it's misleading to list all these things about all these titles that LeBron's won without Wade, without Bosch, without Kevin Love, without Kyrie, without Anthony Davis, when the titles that some of them weren't there for, others were every time. And... The team that Michael Jordan inherited when he was drafted in 84 to the Bulls was a train wreck. It, the culture was gone. The, it was a bunch of guys doing drugs in a hotel room and Michael Jordan carrying the weight by himself. Everybody wants to say, puts up graphics about, about you know, LeBron James took this this lineup to the finals, and it shows Anderson Varejao and Zinjunas Ilgauskas and all those guys from the from the 2007 Cavs, who, by the way, got swept by a real team, not a super team, the San Antonio Spurs. But the team that Michael Jordan inherited 
the players that were on the 84 Bulls were worse than the players that were on the Cavs. So this is a little bit this is a little bit of a stretch, but I did math I did the math and I took I took the win-loss records of the Bulls nine years prior to Michael Jordan being drafted. Added them up, divided by nine. The average win total of the Bulls before Jordan got there was 33.6. I did the same thing with the Cavs the nine years prior to LeBron, and the average win total was 34.3. Pretty even, but the Cavs were slightly better as a franchise before LeBron got there than Michael Jordan. The, the Bulls only made the playoffs twice in the nine-year span prior to Michael Jordan, whereas the Cavs made it three times in the nine-year span prior to LeBron James. But if you go back six years earlier, they made it five times in those six years. So the Cavs as a franchise were better off prior to LeBron showing up than than the Bulls were. The Bulls were basically nothing before Michael Jordan got there. Sports fans in Chicago, they liked the Cubs and the White Sox and the Bears and the Blackhawks. Nobody cared about the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls are one of the best, one of the most well-known organizations today, despite not having a lot of success in recent years, other than with, with Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah and those guys. But the United Center is still one of the preferred places to play in the league because of the history there. The Bulls, it's one of the most recognizable logos in sports because it hasn't changed. That was an interesting fact. It hasn't changed once in the team's history. And despite a little success, the Bulls have become a brand. The Bulls have become something to care about in Chicago sports. Whereas you could say the same thing about Cleveland, that LeBron put them on the map, but they've had some success since he left with, with Donovan Mitchell and, and some of the young draft picks they have. But the Cavs aren't a brand. They're just a, they're just a franchise that's had some success. LeBron didn't turn, turn the Cavs into a brand. I said it before, I'll say it again. LeBron is a great player. And he's respected among the in the league as being a great player. He's not feared like Michael was. He's not seen as almost as almost a deity like Michael was. Larry Bird called him Jesus in gym shorts, God in gym shorts. Reggie Miller is famously referred to him as Black Jesus. Multiple multiple instances of people referring to Michael in a reverential, almost godlike manner. No one does that with LeBron. And everybody wants to talk about, oh, the team, you know, the team that, that LeBron inherited was so much worse and and he led this team to the finals and blah 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 blah. When when LeBron James showed up in 2003, he had Zindrunas who in my opinion is one of the more underrated players in the NBA. He wasn't great, but he was a solid, solid running mate for LeBron James. And they had Carlos Boozer for a couple of years before he was traded. 
Ilgaskis and Boozer were both two-time All-Stars. And LeBron, in in the several years after that, uh, played with played with other All-Stars, Antoine Jameson, before he even got to the finals. When Michael Jordan showed up to the Bulls in 1984, the roster that he showed up on, all time, this is not just when he got there, all time, not, not including him. I wasn't including LeBron in the previous thing, not including Michael. The roster he inherited had one all-star appearance, and it was Steve Johnson in 1988. Do you know who that is? Neither do I. So I don't, I, I don't want to hear this narrative that, oh, LeBron took this team to the finals. It, this team is so bad. The team had Anderson Varejao, Zandrunas Ilgauskas, two really, really good players in this league for a long time. It had Daniel Gibson. It had Antoine Jameson. He, LeBron had players on that team. The teams that Michael had before Scotty even got there in 87 were abysmal. LeBron James's teams in the early years, in the first seven years, were far better than the teams that Michael had. They just were. So, so I see. So, what bothers me is these narratives, like this this titles narrative, of look at all look at all the levels LeBron's done that Michael hasn't because he's had Scotty the whole time. That's called building a franchise. Scotty was drafted. He was just some kid out of Central Arkansas. They they found Scotty, literally in the middle of nowhere, a diamond in the literal rough, and they polished him to perfection. LeBron James teamed up with perfection, and to no one's surprise, won championships when he had two or three superstars next to him. Michael and Scotty became superstars together. Dennis Rodman showed up as a much-needed replacement defensively and in the rebounding department for Horace Grant, who was also drafted. So, if you notice, the two greatest teams of all time, record-wise, the 73-9 Warriors and the 72-10 Bulls, they were built from the ground up. I mean, you could. Some people argue that the that this 2016-17 um, or the 17-18 Warriors, when they had Kevin Durant and finished 70, 67 and 15, were better than the 73 and nine Warriors. But that's categorically wrong. That's just it's just wrong. Steph, Clay, Draymond, Harrison Barnes, all drafted. All major pieces of that team, all drafted. The the, the best teams in him. Have, in NBA history have built from the ground up. LeBron James either joins already intact or plays like a guy in an ice cream truck luring all the best to him to chase somebody that's unchaseable in my opinion. This has this has this podcast has gone on very long. I apologize, but we have a lot to cover and I'm going to try to bust through this the, the NFL part of this. Um the the running back position in the NFL has seen a rapid devaluation at this point uh, to the point where Dalvin Cook still doesn't have a contract. Ezekiel Elliott still doesn't have a contract. 
Saquon Barkley was holding out until he signed a one-year deal that was only $900,000 higher than the franchise tag. So I don't really understand that. I don't understand why you make a big stink about the franchise tag and then take $1 million more for one year. It's It kind of undercuts the rest of the running backs because they had just had a running back Zoom meeting where players like Saquon and Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry were all there talking about what do we have to do to show our value in this league? And I think a conversation about them not having value is ridiculous. I, I heard something not that long ago that an unnamed GM said something about why would I spend money on my star running back when running backs are a diamond a dozen, I can get them anywhere. And numerically, that may be true. Statistically, that may be true. But you can get any player anywhere. Like, it's like, why would I sign Patrick Mahomes to to a big deal when I can go get a third rounder from Iowa in the draft? Like, qu- quarterbacks everywhere too, running. Like, but the value cannot be understated. And, and it bothers me that it is. Saquon was responsible for 29% of the Giants' offense last year. Daniel Jones isn't it. They drafted Daniel Jones because he reminded them of of Eli Manning, and they loved Eli Manning. But to some, Eli Manning is an average quarterback. And they drafted him because they reminded him of Eli Manning, not because they were wowed by him. It's because they were reminded of the two Super Bowls they won with someone else. Daniel Jones isn't it. Saquon Barkley is. He was responsible for 29% of the Giants' offense. And they made the playoffs because of that. And they've paid all this money to Daniel Jones, who will be a backup in six years, probably. And Saquon's out here looking for a deal. When he is unequivocally one of the best running backs in this league. But... And I made these notes uh, before Saquon signed, but I just want to make a point of Saquon threatening to hold out was going to be a lose-lose situation. And it reminded me of Le'Veon Bell with the Steelers. Saquon was threatening to hold out, and if he did, the Giants lose 29% of their offense, plus... The the Giants were able to not turn the ball over very often last year. That's not they're not gonna be able to replicate that. That's gonna take a step back. So and they 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 would have missed him even more because they would turn the ball over more. They didn't have Saquon. I don't even know who their backup running back is. That's that's another conversation. But Saquon Barkley had six had 1,650 yards last season. As I said, that's 29%. And for for the Giants to say, oh, we don't need to pay you. We, we, we don't need to keep you. The, Daniel Jones is not a franchise quarterback. Their, their receiving core is terrible. Um, Saquon is their only hope in a pretty competitive division. The, the Eagles are obviously one of the two best teams in this league. The Cowboys are, are a perennial offense or, or a perennial playoff contender, excuse me. 
And if if it wasn't for Washington, for whatever reason, not addressing the quarterback situation and sticking with Sam Howell, nothing against him. He'll probably be pretty good. But if Washington had gone out and gotten drafted a or traded up and drafted one of these top quarterbacks or traded for a quarterback or signed Jimmy Garoppolo or whatever, I think their roster is better than New York. Without Saquon Barkley, the Giants go to a last place team. That's it. So for all these guys, and not just Saquon, but I'm reminded of Le'Veon Bell because Le'Veon Bell sat out 2018 for the Steelers because he wanted a new contract. He was traded to the Jets shortly after that in 2019. And in the first year, he did have a, a solid seven, 789 yards in 15 games, but that's just 3.2 yards a carry. And he only had three touchdowns that season. So he had 789 yards, which is okay. Not something you want for a feature back that you give, give all that up for, but he only had three touchdowns since then. He has bounced, he has bounced around to four teams since 2020 tallied just 429 yards on 121 carries and four touchdowns total and hasn't played since 2021. So Le'Veon Bell sat out and bet on himself and it didn't work. So it could have been a lose-lose where Saquon sits out, the Giants suffer miserably, and then Saquon's never a feature back again. Based on how based on how the league is moving, sitting out is not going to go in your favor because they'll just replace you. They think they can already, however wrong they may be. They think they can already. So sitting out was not wise, and I'm not sure how, how good it is for other running backs that he threatened to sit out and then signed for just $900,000 more. I, I don't, I don't understand that. I, I don't agree with the way the running back market is, but it is. And we look at other players who don't have deals or either don't have deals or have been franchise tagged. Tony Pollard rushed for a thousand yards for the Cowboys, 130 yards more than the lead back. Ezekiel Elliott on 38 fewer carries. They let they they let Ezekiel Elliott go to clear a path to clear a path for Pollard to take over, only to franchise Pollard. So they they showed Pollard they valued him, but then immediately undervalued him. If you view if you view the franchise tag as undervaluing, it it was immediate. Which some do. I still think I still think ten point one million is pretty decent wage. I would take it for a year, absolutely. So Pollard is technically on the Cowboys still, but he's playing under the tag. Josh Jacobs, who was the who who won the rushing title a couple of years ago, and without Derek Carr, like the the fact that. Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo there is almost forgettable to me because I've forgotten it three times in the last 24 hours. They need Josh Jacobs. That team needs Josh. He's a he he won the rushing title and 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 you're you're ta- you're tagging him. You're not willing to sign him. Teams aren't willing to sign running backs anymore, and I don't understand. Dalvin Cook is still without a team. He's meeting with the Jets. That looks pretty good that he might might go over there, but they do have Brees Hall who is. A really good young 
running back, so I don't know why they would need both. Um, but Dalvin Cook was sixth in the NFL in rushing last year with 1,173 yards and eight touchdowns. He's fourth in the NFL in rushing since 2018, which was his first full year in the league. He only played four games in his rookie year because of an injury, and he was still he was still sixth. If you go if, if you use that year as an example, he's sixth in the league since then, having only played four in the first year, fourth in the league since his first full year. Minnesota was 11 and 0 in one score games in 2022. That won't happen again. It won't. And I did. I spent yesterday doing my projections for the standings this year, and I'll you'll see those later in the week. I have something planned for those, but it's not it's not going to be pretty for for Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota was eleven and zero in one score games in twenty twenty two. In those eleven games, Dalvin Cook averaged seventeen carries and eighty three yards a game. 4.7 yards a carry. He had seven touchdowns. And Minnesota was 13 and 4 last season and still had a minus three point differential. Every yard, every touchdown, every carry Dalvin Cook had was necessary. I don't understand the idea that these running backs aren't valuable. I would rather have. Dalvin Cook over Madison. I I would rather have Jonathan Taylor over whoever the backup is there now because Jonathan Taylor yesterday requested a trade from the Colts. Also, much like James Harden, seems to have not learned by what he's watching. The Colts owner Jim Jim Ursay said we're not going to trade him, but they also don't want to sign him to a big deal right now. So he says trade me. And he's he's apparently not looking around because it's not it's not looking good for running backs out there, and I don't think any team would want to give up big big capital, whether it be players or draft picks, to to get a running back they they view as replaceable because that's that's how these star running backs are viewed right now. I don't agree with it, but it's just the way it is. Now, from the Colts perspective you could argue like yes Jonathan Taylor is a big part of this offense he's probably the best player on this team he had a great season in in 2021 but much like the team he took a step he took a huge step back in 2022 had some injuries so if I'm the Colts I don't necessarily want to lock him down to a huge deal until I see that he's past his injuries, that he can have another big year. That's just math. But I, I, I think it's wild that we've gotten to this point in the NFL where it's like, who cares if you're one of the best running backs in the league? Who cares if like you've done all this stuff? We can replace you. We, we, we can find some sixth rounder from Eastern Kentucky that can, that can give us yards. I don't I don't understand that. It, the running back is still one of the most valuable pieces in the league. I, you can't I don't understand how you can justify lack of value from that position. Um we 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 see less and less feature backs in turn in favor of like switch one ha, having one that's a pass catcher and one 
that's a that's a runner. Why would you need that? Go going back to Saquon's stats, he had 57 receptions for 338 yards by himself. Why would you need two backs to do that when you have one that's rushing for 1300 and receiving another another 330? It doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me the the undervaluing of the position that has been the lifeblood of the league for a long time. Yes, it's a passer's league, but you need those rushers to expand the field. You just do, and I don't understand it. Um, This has been an extra long episode. I appreciate you sticking with me. This has been Empire Sports Talk, my mom's favorite podcast. Uh, I am Roman Gennaro. Please check out our social media we have a lot of content coming out. We're changing things up, adding new stuff. It's very exciting. As you can see, the, the studio space is getting there. Um, in a few weeks, you'll see. we'll show you the whole thing. Um, we're going to have guests come in here. It's going to be really, really cool. We're doing a lot of great stuff. So, so go over to YouTube, click on that subscribe button on the notification bell. Let us hear your thoughts. Let us hear your comments. Follow us on all social media. And this has been Empire Sports Talk. I am Roman Gennaro. See you next time.